Good morning. So, when I was young, growing up in England, um, several times as a family, we would go on vacation to Ireland. And the reason we went on vacation to Ireland was my mum's family. That's where they grew up. So we'd go and we'd see family. And there in Northern Ireland, we'd travel around this beautiful countryside and see these farming areas where they all grew up. And, and one thing that always amazed me whenever we were driving around were these incredible walls that lined the roads and lined the fields in Northern Ireland. And they were called dry stone walls. Have you guys ever heard of these? We'll put a picture up here on the screen. These dry stone walls, it's um, something they've been doing for, for hundreds of years in England. And basically, they, they construct these walls literally out of stones and nothing else. It's just the weight of the rocks themselves. And these walls, we would drive through these Irish countryside lanes, and we would see these walls stretching. And I would get up close, and I was always so fascinated by how well constructed they were. It was like a, a jigsaw puzzle, the way they fit so neatly together, and yet still made this, this really solid-shaped wall. And the reason I show that picture is because we've been talking about walls over these last few weeks, and we've been talking about the danger of having walls in our lives. But, you know, some walls are good. This wall keeps certain animals one side and other animals out and uh, animals from escaping. And, and these walls, they mark off territory so farmers know where their land ends and where the next farm begins. So although we've been talking over the last few weeks about the negatives of walls, I want to speak a little bit this morning about how, how sometimes walls can be a good thing. The importance of walls. In fact, Solomon, one of the wisest men who ever lived, he wrote um, a lot of Proverbs. And one of those Proverbs, in Proverbs 25, verse 28, Solomon said this. He said, a person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. A person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. What he's saying here is that without certain walls in your life, there could be problems. If you don't have certain walls in your life, it could lead to trouble. You know, we often refer to these walls can sound a little bit negative, so we often refer to these as boundaries. And that's a healthy thing to have. And there's been a lot written about this by Christian authors and secular authors alike. Counselors will talk a lot about this, about the need for healthy boundaries in our lives. So this morning, I want to look at what a healthy boundary looks like. I want to spend a little bit of time talking about what a healthy boundary does not look like, what an unhealthy boundary looks like. So there are different kind of boundaries that we can set in our lives. The first is a physical boundary. Many of us have got physical boundaries that we put in place to protect ourselves. That might be, for example, staying away from a, a certain part of a city uh, when it gets dark. Okay, might be unsafe, that's a, that's a physical boundary. We are not going to go to that place after dark because that's, that's known for trouble. It might be um, not swimming past a certain point in the pool. That's a physical boundary. If you're young here this morning and you're just kind of learning to swim, there might be a point that you just know you can't go further than. That's a physical boundary that you've set yourself. Um, in my family, I have a, a physical boundary that is, um, involves keeping my wife out of Pottery Barn when we go shopping. That's a, that's a boundary that I've set. It, it saves me a lot of money when I can make it happen, but sometimes she, she sneaks through, she gets away from me, and then it's, it's trouble from then on out. You know, the Bible gives examples as well of boundaries, physical boundaries that are healthy for us to put in our lives. Lots of examples, but I want to read one that a guy by the name of Paul, he's writing to a young man named Timothy. Timothy is the leader of this brand new church, and Paul, as his mentor, is kind of giving him lots of counsel and advice. And this is one of the things that Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. 
He says, Timothy, you need to run from anything that stimulates youthful lusts. Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace, and enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with, with pure hearts. Paul's saying, Timothy, listen, there are things in your life, temptations that you may face that will, will bring you down, will cause you harm. You need to set boundaries against those physical things. Even run from it if you have to. There are some of you here this morning, I know that there are certain places that people could go that in and of themselves aren't bad, but because of maybe something that's happened in your life, maybe a weakness, maybe something in your past, you've had to draw a boundary and say, you know, it's not healthy for me to go into that place. I've had to draw a boundary because of my past and, and situations in my past. But you know, as well as physical boundaries, there are relational boundaries, and these are the ones that I really want to speak about more this morning, those, those relational boundaries. Because really, if you were to look at your life, um, there's probably more relational boundaries that we need to set than there are physical boundaries. Now, as I said earlier, walls or boundaries, they can be good or bad. So what does a good relational boundary look like? Well, I love that we can turn to Jesus and follow his example. Jesus actually set an example of what a good relational boundary looked like. Listen to this. A guy by the name of Luke, he was one of the four men who wrote the story of Jesus, wrote and gave us the account of the life of Jesus. He wrote in Luke chapter 5, verse 15 to 16. He's talking about Jesus and, and his fame and his popularity as it's growing there in, um, in those Bible times. He says, yet the news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. And listen to what Luke points out. He says, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Luke's saying there were hundreds, there were thousands of people who came to see Jesus. And it was a good thing because he had great stuff to teach them. He was teaching them things they'd never heard before. He was performing miracles. He was healing the sick. He was doing incredible things. But it says here that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. So wait, are you telling me here that Jesus placed a limit on how many people he was willing to help? Did Jesus draw a line and say, okay, I'm going to help you guys, but sorry, you're out of luck. No, I don't think Jesus placed a limit. I just think Jesus knew um, that he himself needed boundaries in his life. He knew that in order to help all the people he was called to help, he had to be in the best place that he himself could be. And what that meant was sometimes, sometimes creating a boundary and separating himself from the crowd. Getting alone with his heavenly father to pray and to replenish himself spiritually to be the best that he could be. I think Jesus was more effective in his ministry because he knew how to set those healthy relational boundaries in his life. He knew how to say, listen, I know that there's a big need here. I know there's a lot of people, but for me to be the best that I can be, I'm going to have to withdraw. There could be some people here that will be upset today because they've traveled a long way to hear me speak or to see me. But right now, I need to be alone. I think he was more effective in his ministry because he knew how to set those boundaries. And I think some of us need to learn the same thing. Maybe some of us have found that we've, um, especially if you're here this morning and you're a follower of Jesus, and because Jesus has done so much in your life, you just want to be able to help others and, and make a difference in others' lives. And, and before you know it, you find yourself stretched and almost spread thin because you're giving so much. 
Jesus himself set boundaries. Jesus himself withdrew at times. Some of us, in order to be a better parent, a better employee, a better boss, a better spouse, we have to be willing to define some boundaries in our own lives. And that's really difficult, especially if you're a follower of Jesus here this morning. Because there are many of us who are, and we feel that, that love of God, that he's, he's changed our lives, and we want to share that with others. We read the scriptures about how Jesus helps the, the poor and the broken, and, and we want to do the same. We want to make a difference in the lives of people around us. And very often, we can get pulled in many directions, because you know what? We'll find there's lots of people in our lives that need help. This is something that God's really worked on in my life in ministry. I've been a pastor now of Connect for almost two years. And prior to that, I was a pastor at some other churches as well. So over the years, I've experienced a lot of opportunities to help people and, and to be there to, to be a resource to people. But at times, it's spread me thin. At times, my family has suffered. And I can remember something that really liberated me a while back. It was a book I read, and the book was called um, The Emotionally Healthy Church by an author named Peter Scazzaro. And this book was talking about, you know, if you're going to lead a church, if you're going to be a pastor of a church, there's some things you've got to get right in your life if you want to be the most effective leader in this church. It was a challenging book to read. But there's one particular chapter I read, and it stuck with me ever since. And it was the author, he tells a story, it's a fable by a, a rabbi by the name of Edwin Friedman, and it's called The Bridge. And I'm going to tell you the story that, that he tells in this book this morning it's a story about a bridge, and, and he tells the story that one day a man is off on a journey. And this journey is going to take him to his destiny. This journey is going to, he's finally moving forward with his life, and he knows that there is a place that he needs to be. He senses the destiny and the purpose, and, and he's heading out on this journey. And on his way, he arrives at a bridge, and there's a bridge that he needs to cross. And we've got a picture here, just so you can picture in your mind what that bridge might look like. He has to cross this bridge, and, and on the other side of the bridge lies his destiny and his purpose. With confidence and excitement, he starts to make his way across the bridge. And as he does, he sees someone coming the other way. Right around the middle of the bridge, they, they start to get closer and closer. And he notices as this, as this gentleman is approaching him from the other side, that he appears to be carrying this large piece of rope. It's kind of wrapped around his waist. And as they get closer, he sees this guy start to unwrap the rope from around his waist. He says as they get to the middle, he realizes that this guy, this, this rope is tied around his waist and all this is extra rope. And as they meet, this gentleman who he's, who he's not met before, he says, hey, could you just hold the end of this rope for me? The guy's on a mission. He's on his way. And he says, yeah, sure, I'll help you. And, and he grabs the end of the rope. And as he grabs it, the guy with the rope tied around his waist runs to the side of the bridge and just jumps off. He holds on tight to the rope, realizing what's going to happen here. He feels the rope tighten up, and then suddenly it stretches tight as the guy reaches the end of the rope, and he, he pulls it and, and manages to hold on and save the man from falling. It kind of pulls him towards the edge of the bridge, and as, he's, as he stood there bracing himself against the edge of the bridge, he's holding this man from falling to the river below. He says, what are you doing? Why would you do that? And the guy at the end of the rope says, I'm okay. I'm okay, thank you so much for holding onto that rope. I certainly would have plunged had it not been for you. But I'm okay, just, just hold onto that rope for me. The guy says, well, well okay, I'm glad I was able to save you, but let me, let me pull you back up. And the other guy says, no, 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 let's not chance anything. I'm okay just hanging here right now. Let's just, let's just keep it right here. He's like, well, no, no, if I pull and if you pull, I'm sure I can, no, no, that sounds too, I'm not sure we can do that. We'll just, this is working. 
You hold the rope. I'm here. We're okay. Well, this guy looks towards the end of the bridge and realizes that he had a destination, a destiny, a purpose, somewhere he needed to be. And, and now he couldn't move on because he was holding this rope. So he gets a bit more firm with the guy and says, listen, I need to get you up out of here because I have a place I need to be. I need to pull you back up. And the guy's like, I don't think we should chance that. I think you should just stay there and hold on to that rope and not let go. So he holds on a few moments. He finally says, listen, this is the last time I'm going to tell you. Start pulling on the rope. I'm going to start pulling from this end. If you pull and I pull at the same time, I can get you up over this bridge. But I can't pull you up unless you'll help yourself from the other end. The guy says, I don't really want to do that. Just please don't let go. The guy says, listen, if you won't pull yourself up, I'm going to have to let go. The guy says, I don't want to pull myself up. So the guy lets go, and off he goes. And I read this story, and, and maybe you're like me. That's not the end you were expecting. You were thinking, well, hold on a second. That's not how the story should end. He, surely there's a way that he gets the guy back up onto the bridge. Sorry, and, and I couldn't. I had to read it several times because the ending didn't seem right to me. You see... I'm a, I'm a pastor of a church. If you didn't know this, what the Bible says um, about the word pastor is shepherd. That the pastor is a shepherd to the sheep. The shepherd is called to look after the sheep. Part of my job is to, to help people and to never, ever let go of the rope. And I'm reading this book by this author who's challenging pastors. And it, it seems to me that he's saying, you know, sometimes you need to let go of the rope. And I'm thinking, I'm not sure that that's right. And I struggled with that. But he goes on in the chapter to talk about the fact that, that very often you can try as hard as you like, but if the person at the other end of the rope isn't willing to help themselves, you'll be trying in vain. And the truth is, very often, maybe sometimes you'll, you will get them back up off the bridge and then they'll only go and jump again. And these are the questions that I came up with after reading this particular chapter. Will this person truly drown if I don't hold the rope or will they learn to swim? Will they drag me down or will I pull them up? Is this person willing to change if I hold the rope or do they want an audience for their misery? Am I the only person who can hold the rope? Does God want me to hold the rope for this person or to cross the bridge to the destiny to which he has called me? In his book, Necessary Endings, Dr. Henry Cloud talks about this whole idea of healthy boundaries in our life in the context of relationships, and especially relationships that can be a draw on us. And he says there's a difference between helping someone who is disabled, incapable, or otherwise infirm versus helping someone who is resisting growing up and taking care of what every adult has to be responsible for, herself or himself. Now, a little word of caution here this morning, because I can, I can feel you all just letting go of ropes all around the room. You're like, cool. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> what I want you to do is weigh that up. Say, God, I need you to help me. Maybe it's talking to someone else and getting some advice, saying, listen, there is a person in my life. And, and that story Dave told us when this is kind of how I feel. It feels like I'm really trying to help them, but, but they're not willing to help themselves. And in me trying to help, it's actually stopping me from doing anything else because I'm stuck holding this rope. And that's really tough because that goes against all, almost what we feel is um, our calling as followers of Jesus. But sometimes in order to effectively help others, it may need a point of saying, I, I've tried everything I can, but unless you're willing, this is the kindest thing I can do for you. 
And some of you may need to go away this morning and think through that and pray through that and say, maybe that is a boundary I need to create in my life. Maybe I've, I've not had a boundary there and this person has, has pulled on me for too long. This may be a relational situation in your life right now where there needs to be that boundary. And in love and in kindness and actually in the best interests of that person, you may need to let go of the rope. So if there are healthy boundaries that we set in our lives relationally, if, if like Jesus, there are times when we need to withdraw and, and create these boundaries, then, then maybe there are also unhealthy boundaries. And I, I want to take a moment this morning and just look at what they would look like. What does an unhealthy wall, an unhealthy boundary look like in our lives? You know, I got to thinking about this, and you'd think, wouldn't you, that the greatest kind of pain would be physical pain. If you think about it, you'd think, man, if I'd said the words physical pain today, you'd be thinking, oh, yeah, that's, that's got to be the greatest kind of pain there is. In fact, when I was thinking about this, I'm like, I'm going to go online and I'm going to find a good video to illustrate this. I'm going to look on like, YouTube, get like one of those AFV videos, America's Funniest Home Videos, and I bet there's a video on there of a skateboarder like going down a rail and then falling either side, you know, legs either side of that rail, or maybe there's like a dad who's at a wedding and he's too big and too old and probably drunk too much to be dancing on that table, and any minute now, we're going to see some real example of physical pain. That'd be a really fun video to show at this point in my message, you know, to illustrate the idea of physical pain. So I go on there and I start looking. And, and it turns out um, that if you do physical pain, all you see is like horrendous sports injuries. It's like football players, basketball players, soccer players who in the midst of a game like break an arm or there's a bone protruding in a way that it really should never have protruded. So we're going to watch that video. I'm just kidding, we're not. Because <laughs> that stuff, I mean, you can't unsee that. When you see one of those guys, you're like, ow, that's terrible. And like, you're in pain watching it, you're thinking, oh, that's awful. But the reality is, if I was to walk around the auditorium this morning with a microphone and talk about pain, the greatest pain, I think a few people might have a horror story of a broken bone or a, an accident you had, but actually, in all reality, I think what we start to find as we speak to more and more people is, yeah, when you talk about the greatest pain, Dave, I don't think about a physical thing. I can tell you about an emotional thing. Something that happened to me when I was younger, something that happened to me recently, something that happened to me at work, something that happened to me in a, in a previous relationship. And Dave, you talk about pain. Let me tell you the pain that this chapter of my life represented. And the reality is that it could be being hurt by someone, maybe someone we loved or trusted, a parent, a friend, a spouse. And if we were to go around this morning, I think the pain would be described with words like betrayed, cheated upon, abused, neglected, or hurt. And maybe this person who hurt us so badly is still a part of our lives. So we've taken it upon ourselves to create a boundary, a boundary that protects us from this person, a boundary that ensures that this person will never hurt us again. And that's wise. We need to do that. In fact, some maybe have been hurt too many times because we didn't create that boundary. And that's a healthy boundary to say, no, I've been hurt once too many by this, by this times, by this person. I need to create a wall in my life. But if we're not careful, if we're not careful, what happens is we could be in danger of instead of creating a boundary that's a healthy thing, we build a wall. Instead of creating a boundary, we build a wall. And let me explain what I mean by that. You see, this is a wall. This is very high and very thick and very impenetrable. We're not really sure what's on the other side of that wall. That's not a boundary. A boundary is more like a fence. 
A boundary is more like a fence that we can see over and we can see through. It has a gate on it. And, and don't worry, the gate is a gate that only we control. The, the, the latch is only on our side of the fence. We get to determine um, who comes in and who comes out. But, but there is an opportunity to allow comings and goings. This is a healthy boundary. It's a boundary that we control. The danger is if we build the wall, what ends up happening is we, we keep others out and it traps us inside. You know, a healthy boundary is more like a cell membrane. If we can go back to school just for a second here, you probably remember learning about cell membranes. They are selectively permeable. Yep, I Googled that. And um, what that means is that they selectively, they let the right things in and out, but they keep the wrong things from coming in. And that's what a healthy boundary looks like. It's not a wall that doesn't let anything through. It's a healthy boundary that lets the right things in and out, but stops the wrong things from coming in. And the problem is that some of us, instead of a healthy boundary, we've built a wall between us and that person that hurt us. And now, as a result of that, there's bad blood where there used to be mad love. <laughs> you re- <laughs> this is very serious. You realize that now you've got problems and you don't think you can solve them because this person made a really deep cut and baby... Now we've got bad blood. <laughs> Some are giggling right now. Others are giggling, but they're not really sure why they're giggling. <laughs> they're just giggling because the others are. That's a quote from a very famous philosopher of our time. Um, on the subject of hurt and forgiveness, her name is Taylor Swift. And uh, she recently wrote this song, Bad Blood. But I'm sorry to tell you here this morning, especially you fans out there, that I think T-Swizzle, I think she got it wrong. Okay, I don't think Taylor Swift has got it right in the, in the words that she uses in this song. You see, this song is allegedly about a rift between her and Katy Perry. I know, it's, it's awful. Some of you are like, how did I not know this? It's the media. They hide these big stories away. This, this is a big story. So Taylor and, and Katy Perry, they, they've had this falling out. And apparently Taylor Swift has now written this song to say how upset she is at whatever it is that Katy Perry has done to her. But listen to this song. Listen to the lines of this song. She says, now, did you think it all through? All these things will catch up to you. And time can heal, but this won't. So if you're coming my way, just don't. That sounds like a wall to me. That doesn't sound like a fence with a gate or a cell membrane. That's a wall saying, hey, if you're coming my way, don't. The wall has been built. And now what happens with us is when we build a wall like that, when we're upset and when we feel that we've been harmed and we build that wall, we actually stop others coming in. And it affects every other relationship we have. And the way I trust others and the way I relate to other people. Because this wall has a name, and it's forgiveness. I know that's a really difficult word for some to hear. I heard a pastor say this recently. He's, he said, I'm going to use the F word this morning. It's forgiveness. You don't want to hear that word in church, but for some of us, I'm like, I don't want to hear that word. I don't like that idea. But listen to what Solomon, again, that wise guy we talked about earlier, he wrote another verse in Proverbs 18, 19, when he was talking about the idea of unforgiveness. He says, a brother wronged is more unyielding than a fortified city. So what does that mean? He's saying someone who's been wronged or harmed or offended in some way and who does nothing about it is like a fortified city. You know what that is? That's a city surrounded by massive walls. A brother wronged? 
is like a city with a huge wall built up around it. And the sad thing is, we think this wall is protecting us, but it's actually destroying us. The writer of Hebrews in the New Testament says this in Hebrews 12, 15. He says, watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. See, he's talking about this poisonous root that's, that's unforgiveness. It's like a wall. It'll grow up. And it won't just trouble you. It'll corrupt many. In other words, it will harm you and it'll harm every relationship that you have. You'll find that you're in a relationship and this person here reminds me of my old boss. And it brought back everything that that guy or that lady did. And now this relationship with you is being affected because it's reminding me of this. Maybe this person says something and it reminds you of the way your brother used to treat you when you were younger. And you've realized, wow, that still gets to me. That still bothers me. And now it's affecting this relationship too because it's taking me back to all the hurt and pain that I remember from that relationship. Here's why it's so dangerous to have a wall there instead of a fence. Why I think this needs to be a healthy boundary, not an unhealthy one. Because if you have a wall and you don't have a fence, you are stopping any chance of reconciliation. Like Taylor, you're saying, I can, um, time can heal, but this never will. This won't. So if you're coming my way, just don't. But listen, I know some of you not right now, maybe you're getting a little bit nervous. You're thinking of the wrong that was done to you by someone, the, the hurt that came into your life, and the thought of reconciling against that person actually brings fear into your life. You're thinking, I don't know if I want, if that's what you're saying, Dave, if the, the point of your message this morning is it's, you've got to reconcile, I'm not sure that I can go there because that, that person hurt me so much. I just don't know if realistically I can reconcile. Well, here's the thing. I'm not saying that reconciliation has to happen. That's not the point of my message this morning. You see, I realize some of you have been hurt deeply. And the truth is, I can't relate to that. As I was preparing this message on forgiveness, I was trying to think of, of times in my life where I've had to forgive. And I'll be honest with you, for, for me, you know, it's things like the guy who stole my space in Walmart. Seriously, I mean, I was, it was obvious that was this my space. And there he was in his blue car and his Dallas Cowboys hat. And he just got in my space. And I just, but no, it's all right. I've, <laughs> I've forgiven him. But I kind of joke because the reality is I, I'm very fortunate. I've, I've not had these extreme situations. But I know that there are some here this morning that maybe you're like, Dave, I wish that was all I had to forgive. But if you knew about this situation, this person in my life, if you knew what they did, how they treated me, what they said. That is really hard to imagine that I have to reconcile with that person. But I don't think reconciliation should be the goal. And here's why. You see, reconciliation may never be possible. You need to understand this when it comes to reconciliation, okay? It takes one to repent. So if there are two parties who have had some kind of falling out, it takes one to repent. It takes one to forgive, but it takes two to reconcile. So it takes one to repent, it takes one to forgive, but it takes two to reconcile. And here's the thing, if you have a wall there this morning, imagine that picture that was up earlier of that wall. If you put a wall between you and this person, and that person truly has a change of heart, truly repents over what they've done, there is no way through for that person because you've built a wall and there is no way through. And let's think of it the other way. If there's a wall between you and this person, you're going to find it very hard to forgive. 
Because it's very hard to forgive someone that you've created a wall instead of a fence between. You see, with God's help, you may truly be able to forgive that person who hurt you. You may be able to release them of that hold that they've had over you. And, and I honestly believe, and I've experienced this myself in my life and in ministry when I've spoken with people, that sometimes the only way someone was able to do it was literally with God's help. There was nothing in them that was able to, to forgive and move past that point. But as they, they fell upon Jesus and said, Jesus, I need your help. We talked about this in the first week, that the very first battle Joshua won, the first wall that he destroyed, it was a miracle. They marched around that city seven times and the walls, they didn't just come tumbling down, they, they disappeared. That's the kind of God we serve who wants to, to destroy the walls in our lives like that. And I'm not going to talk about the, the repent part this morning because I'm not speaking to the person who has, who has done the harm. That's, that's another message. I'm speaking to you this morning if you've been harmed. I'm speaking about your need to forgive, your responsibility in this. Because the reality is you may, you may forgive this person for what they've done and they still may not be sorry. They still may feel they did nothing wrong. They may still behave the same way they did when they hurt you. There's a chance they may not even be alive anymore. Reconciliation may truly not be an option for you this morning, and that's okay. But by forgiving, you're removing that wall, and you're replacing it with a fence. You're saying, I still need a boundary in my life, because this person hurt me, and I am not going to let them hurt me again. But by forgiving and by making that offense, you are, you're creating a boundary that protects you, but that doesn't enslave you. You know, as I was preparing this message, I felt like there was so much I could talk about on the subject of forgiveness. And, and to be honest with you, I think probably in the future, we'll actually spend several weeks just speaking on this subject because it is such a huge subject. And I know that I'm just scratching the surface tonight, and this morning, and I know that for some of you, are like, okay, Dave, that's easy to say and to understand, but still, that's a really difficult thing for me to move forward with. But the reality is, the only chance you've ever got of moving forward is if you'll recognize that a healthy boundary looks more like a fence and less like a wall. Say, God, help me to, to dismantle that wall so that if ever the time should come, I, I have control over the gate. I, have, I can see over the fence. The boundary is still there. But I've not cut off with this person completely. There is a, a lot more chance, God, that you're going to be able to help me forgive this person over a fence than through a wall. You know, Nelson Mandela spent 27 years in prison. In May of 1994, he'd been released a while now. He was elected the very first black president of South Africa, a country that was steeped in apartheid and racism. It was thought of as a victory all around the world. At his inauguration, there were hundreds of dignitaries from all around the world present, all around South Africa. Amongst those that actually joined him on the stage for his inauguration ceremony as president of South Africa was none other than the head prison warden of the prison that he'd been in. He joined him on the stage at his inauguration. You know, later, Bill Clinton, who was president of America at that time, he was in a conversation with Mandela, and he said to him, how could you do that? How could you have the guy that kept you in prison for all those years um, on stage with you as part of your inauguration? 
You're now about to become the president and he's there on stage with you. Mandela replied by saying, you know, I chose to forgive him. This person had control over me for 27 years and I decided I wasn't going to give him another day of control in my life. That's what forgiveness does. It releases the control that person has over our lives. And it can only happen if we're willing to to say, God, help me to establish a boundary there because there are healthy boundaries, but not a wall that separates me from them and very often from others, from other healthy relationships, sometimes from you because, God, this this bitterness that was caused by this, this, this unforgiveness, it's become like a wall in my life. You know, one of the most famous quotes from Nelson Mandela, we can put it up on the screen here. He says, as I walked out the door toward the gate that would lead to my freedom, I knew if I didn't leave my bitterness and hatred behind, I'd still be in prison. 27 years in prison. And when he left, he said, I knew if I didn't leave that behind, there would be a prison wall around me every day of my life for the rest of my life. He said, I chose to forgive. I chose to leave that behind. So here's what we're going to do this morning to to close out our service. The band are up here, and they're going to start to to play a song here. You know, the first Sunday of the month here at Connect, we take communion together as a church. And in a second, I'm going to give you some some practical explanation of how we do that. And if you're a guest here this morning and you're not used to taking communion, there's absolutely no pressure this morning. You can just let the, the, the tray pass you by. Uh, if you're comfortable taking communion, you're welcome to take a piece of cracker and the, the cup of juice. And we're, uh, we're actually all going to take it together. We're going to sing this song in a moment. And then at the very end of the song, we're going to all take communion together. But as we go into communion this morning, can I just remind you of one other story that Jesus told us? It was a parable. And it was this story of a, a, a man who one day came before a ruler and the ruler said, listen, you owe me what would be the equivalent nowadays of hundreds of thousands of dollars. This guy falls on his face and says, oh ruler, please have mercy on me. I don't have that kind of money. I was trying to feed my family. We're poor. He says, I'm gonna throw you in prison until you can repay that debt. He said, there's no way I will ever be able to repay that debt. And in this story, Jesus says that the ruler had mercy upon that man. In that moment, he had mercy upon this man he says I forgive you that debt even though that rightfully belongs to me even though you are in debt to me at this moment as the ruler I'm going to say it's taken care of the debt has been paid Jesus was telling that story to illustrate what he was about to do we're about to take communion because God our ruler knew the debt that was in our life the wrong things that we've done the sin that separates us from a holy God He knew we'd never be good enough. We could never repay that debt. It would take a thousand lifetimes to even come close. And even then we still wouldn't because we're broken people. We can't help but do wrong. So God sent Jesus. Jesus to die on a cross in our place. And that was the price he was willing to pay to wipe out the debt that you and I have. And as we take communion this morning, it's to remember that debt and say, God, thank you so much. Thank you that you loved me so much. You were willing to send Jesus to die in my place. And if you're here this morning, you're a follower of Jesus. You are set free. You are are clean. You are uh, forgiven this morning because of the price Jesus paid. 
If you're new this morning, maybe you've not made that decision to follow Jesus. It, it really is that simple. It's saying, God, I'm so sorry for the wrong things I've done. I know that they've separated me from you. Would you forgive me, Jesus? Would you be the Lord of my life? But as the guys make their way forward, and we'll, we'll start giving it out here in just a second. The story didn't end there. You know, the guy, when he was forgiven, he went out and he was so relieved to have been forgiven. And he came across a person who owed him a hundred bucks. He says, hey, where's that money you owe me? And the guy says, I'm sorry, I can't pay. He says, then you're going to jail. He has him thrown in prison. He says, you owe me a hundred bucks. If you can't pay me back, you're out of here. Jesus says the king got word of that and he was furious. He'd forgiven this guy so much and he found out that this individual couldn't forgive someone else a small amount. Jesus told that story to teach us about forgiveness. He said, some of you are holding on to anger and bitterness and you refuse to forgive that person who wronged you. But actually, compared to how much wrong you've done in your life that has separated you from God, it's tiny. And God says, I was willing to send Jesus to die for you, to forgive you. How much more should you be willing to forgive others? So maybe this morning as you're taking communion, you'll be praying, saying, God, that wall needs to come down in my life. I know it's not going to happen straight away. I might need to talk to someone. I might need to get some prayer over this, but I need that wall to come down because you forgave me so much. It's time for me to forgive. There may be a boundary that stays there, a fence that remains in its place, but I'm going to pull that wall down.